This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, Sustainability, the Business Opportunity of the 21st Century. We are at a moment of enormous global change and even greater business opportunity. Climate change is the single biggest commercial opportunity of our time, and this podcast sustainability guru Richard Blundell and myself explore the opportunities open to businesses which embrace sustainability from the business perspective. Find out why sustainability is the greatest business opportunity of the 21st century. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox back again with Richard Blundell for another episode of Sustainability. Richard, we're going to actually get to delve into the legal world today because we had a fairly momentous decision out of the trial court in Montana. It's called Held versus State of Montana is the style of the case. We're going to link to the opinion, a lengthy opinion, uh, 100 plus pages in the show notes. But uh, you want to maybe summarize your reading from a non-lawyer perspective. Yeah, Tom. Thanks for uh, for this that introduction and 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 this is I think we both have agreed that this is a momentous ruling simply because it creates a precedent. And as I'm going to ask you for your opinion, Tom, because you're the lawyer in the room, this was so well done and so well written, and the evidence presented was very comprehensive, and the experts that they got to to cite their opinions in this case were from all over the world. And they delved into not only the science of climate change, which now is indisputable, and that means that our climate is changing because of human activity, and it's because of the fossil fuels that we're burning and the CO2 that is in the atmosphere. But it also dealt with things like health, mental health. It dealt with the degradation of the natural environment. And what was really interesting for me was the plaintiffs ranged from two years old, so obviously they weren't testifying, but their their legal guardians were all the way to 18. And, and it, what I found very interesting was how each one of the plaintiffs described the impact that climate change is having on their lives, on their livelihoods, on their childhoods, on their health, on their mental health. One of the plaintiffs actually mentioned that I don't know if it was he or she was worried about bringing children into this world, given the state of the of the climate. And I can say that I have a niece. When I bring this topic up with her, she becomes visibly distressed and depressed. And I can't even have a conversation because it's so distressing for her. So what I was impressed with was the the knowledge, the sources of knowledge that they went out and the experts that testified and the comprehensiveness of how they dealt with each one of these issues. But it, for me, what I found just unbelievably, it's like going back to the dark ages, was at the start of this, which is what is being challenged, is the constitutionality of the fossil fuel provisions, both in the Mon- Montana State Energy Policy Act and the Montana Environmental Policy Act, which forbids the state and its agents from considering the impacts of greenhouse gas emissions and climate change in their environmental reviews when considering fossil fuel-based energy projects. I, What's the point of an environmental review if you can't take into consideration 
greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. So I, it, for me, just out of the gate, it was stunning that this was actually being challenged. And I think there were some other very interesting things legally that I don't want to get into because I want you, I want to hear your opinion of what you thought of this. I think it's, I think as a precedent, it's a landmark ruling, whether it's because it's going to obviously be appealed, and I think probably likely overturned, but it sets a precedent. And I can, and I was saying to, to Tom before we got on today, in the area that I live, which is a beautiful, I'm here because of nature and I'm surrounded by nature. I feel very lucky, but there's a bunch of developers that are trying to build this up to be another satellite of a city. And we actually, I was at a meeting last night with, we're all trying to deliver a concerted voice against this development. We actually are going to try and use this as a precedent for our own purposes. Anyway, I'm really interested, Tom, in your opinion as a lawyer. So, yes, thanks. And this opinion is very interesting on many levels. We have to start with the Montana Constitution, which enshrines the following. The state and each person shall maintain and improve a clean and healthful environment in Montana for the present and for future generations. So the Montana Constitution enshrines keeping Montana clean and healthful for future generations. That is very rare language in any constitution, state, and certainly U.S. federal. So that's anomaly number one. I'll go into where that clause came from in a little bit. There's a very useful maxim in law which says bad facts make bad law. Well, here we have some very bad facts that made some good law. And if we hadn't had those very bad facts, I'm not sure we would have gotten here. And you articulated them as well as anyone could, Richard, which is the Montana Environmental Quality Board or Commission cannot, by law, look at greenhouse gases. By law. And that was the law which was at issue here. This is not the great state of Texas where energy rules. This was Montana that passed this law. When you are charged with environmental quality and you can't measure the environment, you got a pretty difficult job ahead of you. So we had a number of plaintiffs under the age of 18 bring suit. And the court crafted an opinion, as we would say, she built a record. And that record was she detailed the factual underpinnings of the claim. She detailed the expert testimony tied to the facts, which demonstrated Montana could not fulfill its constitutional requirement to, once again, improve a clean and healthful environment, excuse me, maintain and improve a clean and healthful environment in Montana for present and future generations. This was not an anti-development clause. This was not, I don't want a high rise in my neighborhood. This was a law specifically designed not to allow the state of Montana to maintain a clean and healthful environment for present and future generations because you couldn't measure greenhouse gases. Now, they did have a caveat. I wish I could have seen you when you read that caveat because the caveat was that the Environmental Protection Agency issued a ruling that carbon dioxide was now a covered gas, then you could look at it. 
So that's about as inane a clause, even more than the original clause. (laughs) The Montana legislature really put themselves in a bind here. And the court took the testimony, as I mentioned. They looked at the expert testimony, and they basically said, guys, there's really no debate climate change is real. And she said that the state's experts were not credible. And that's an important legal distinction because when a court finds a witness is credible, the court then can use that testimony or evidence to further their opinion or bolster their opinion. And having a climate denier testify, frankly, is not credible in 2023. And this trial was held in June of this year. So this was as recent as you could get. So the court then went into lovingly lengthy discussions of areas that only a lawyer could love. And of course I did, because I'm a complete geek for the law. And she analyzed the Constitution. She analyzed the statute. She applied a test, which we call strict scrutiny. Now, strict scrutiny is a test that's only used when a law is alleged to violate the Constitution. A law is strictly scrutinized, and there has to be a very compelling reason to uphold a law which is in opposite to a state or federal constitution. And the court here found this law did not have a reason to support not looking at greenhouse gases. When you think about the ruling itself, it is narrowly crafted, meaning This particular, they didn't say Montana couldn't have a policy supporting energy. They didn't say Montana couldn't try to facilitate through tax breaks or other incentives to have more fossil fuel. They didn't say that at all. The court simply said, and the judge's name is Kathy Seeley, I should have said that earlier, that you have to be able to look at greenhouse gases. So if we Richard, you and I took 10 paces backwards and said, oh, that's all she said? That's not very much. It's really not very much. So, And that's why the incredibly bad facts of this case created the opportunity for this law to be overturned based upon the Montana Constitution. Now, this was a trial court, which means that there'll be two levels of appeal to the Montana State Court of Appeals, and to the Montana Supreme Court. This decision has already been subjected to withering criticism by the state of Montana. Query whether it will hold up on appeal. But the significance, once again, as I felt like you correctly noted, Richard, was that this is the first time we have the right of future generations to bring a lawsuit to protect mm. the environment. Once again, limited to the Montana Constitution, other state, like this is not in the Texas Constitution, so this type of lawsuit could not work, could not even be filed in Texas. But in Montana, it's been filed. And the way the court laid its decision out is a literally a roadmap for every practitioner in this field, whether it's someone like yourself and your colleagues who may be looking at this as some sort of argument you could make, or a nonprofit or a pro bono group who wanted to file suit, or someone else who wanted to file suit. And it shows 
the individual testimony of the children, what their fears are from not wanting to bring children into the world to loss of their family livelihood because a couple of the children uh, were raised on and in on ranches and the family business was ranching and they were concerned about that. So we have a wide variety of underlying claims. And if the part of, I'm sure part of the argument on appeal was these are really fears are not justiciable claims. The language for future generations certainly means people other than you and me, because I don't know how many more generations you and I are going to have, but not too many. The court gives us literally a roadmap of how to do it. We have precedent now. We may have states that that try to enshrine this in their constitutions. Some will not. Texas never will. But doesn't mean we can't use it, and it doesn't mean we can't celebrate this. And I want to say a few words about this language in the Montana Constitution. Because as I read the opinion, Richard, I thought this must be the 1880 Montana Constitution. It's not. Exactly, yeah. It's the 1972 Montana Constitution. And what happened right before 1972? In 1971, the Environmental Protection Act was passed in the United States. And it was at the end of a long debate started by largely Rachel Carson with her book, Silent Spring. Obviously, there have been others who had talked about this in the scientific and academic community. But Rachel Carson brought this to the popular community through her great work of Silent Spring. And there was a debate during the entire 60s. And of all administrations, the Richard Nixon administration created and passed the Environmental Protection Act, created the EPA as well, Environmental Protection Agency. So there was a healthy debate, certainly in the United States, for 10 years probably leading up to the passage of the EPA. And the Montana Constitution was being debated in 1972. And he actually, she rather, the judge, took testimony from someone who had been at the Constitutional Convention, talked about the reasons behind, and of course there's a record of that constitutional debate in Montana, which was available for the court, which the court cited to. So I have to also reiterate what you said, Richard, of the uniqueness of this decision. It's limited to a very it's limited to a very limited series of facts. I know I could have said it better than that, but if you had not had the Constitution, if you had constitutional amendment language, and if you had not had a law which says you cannot look at, not that you have to consider, not that they're not going to be countervailing arguments, but you cannot look at greenhouse gases, we may well have been at a very different decision. So I went through all of that in some detail because I want everyone to understand that although you and I both celebrated this decision, as you said, it it may not hold up on appeal. It may be gone very soon. But there's also reasons to celebrate it as well. So it's not a split the baby because both things can be true at the same time. Yeah. But whenever you're the first, you get talked about. And this one was the first. Yeah. And and so so that's extremely well said, Tom. And you picked, I think, the most salient points of this ruling and the judge's written response to or set of, I don't know what the right terminology is, outcomes 
that she and the conclusions that she arrived at. But the, it's even more it's even more compelling when you look at some of the facts that are stated in here. So in 2019, the then governor Steve Bullock created the Montana Climate Solutions Council. And they actually, the conclusion that they drew in quotes is that climate change poses a serious threat to Montana's natural resources, public health, communities, and economy. And Montan and Montanans understand that climate change is occurring and are concerned about the impacts it will have on current and future generations. And then in August of 2020, the Montana Climate Solutions Council released a final report that said the state knew how climate change was already ha harming Montana and its residents through rising temperatures, early snow, snow melt, earlier spring runoff, flooding, changes in water availability, and stream temperatures, increase in forest mortality due to insects, and increasing wildflowers wildfires so they've so 2019 2020 they've already figured out that climate change is important it's having these detrimental effects to various to all parts of society and to nature and they conclude by having 37 recommendations that would reduce the ghg emissions uh, that are being generated in montana and then 2021 the report on climate change and human health is also distributed to officials. And guess what they do? Absolutely nothing. Everything is ignored. The clause that we've been debating stays intact in the environmental, both in the Energy Act and in, in the environmental legislation in the states and in the state, and nothing happens, right? And so the and I find that just it's so damning, right? And they go on to give you some context in this ruling also. And let me just give it to you because it's so stark, right? So in 2019, the annual fossil fuels extracted in Montana is equivalent to 70 million tons of CO2 released into the atmosphere in just that year. Total fossil fuels consumed in Montana in that same year is 32 million tons of CO2 the total annual fossil fuels transported and processed in or through Montana is at least 80 million tons of CO2. So these equivalents are equivalent to the emissions in the sighting here from Colombia, which has 50 times the population of Montana. And they also, and so Montana has a population of 1.124 million in 2013 and the 166 million tons of co2 due to montana's fossil fuel based economy in 2019 is equivalent to the emissions from argentina 47 million people the netherlands 18 million people or pakistan 248 million people there's only five states in the united states that has a greater per capita emissions than Montana. So they are, in absolute terms, one of the greatest emitters globally of CO2. And so all of this data was in the ruling, given obviously by these expert witnesses. But the fact that as recent as 2019, 2020, 2021, 
with these different sort of, you know, studies that were done internally in Montana by the, by obviously commissioned by the legislature and produced these actions, 37 actions, and nothing was done. Just goes to show you how, you know, that, as you said, Tom, so rightly, that this, this one law prevented that the state and its fossil fuel industry, which is big because there's coal mines, there's oil refineries, there's four, four oil refineries, I think six coal mines. I don't remember how many wells, there was hundreds of wells, were completely immune to the detrimental effects that they were delivering, not just to the state of Montana, but to the people who live there, their health, nature, their livelihoods, etc. And I just found this to be I, it was for me, and I'm not a lawyer, it was jaw dropping. And thank you for getting me to read the entire ruling because you had said to me, we really need to read this before we talk about it. I go, Tom, this is, a, this is your area of expertise. I'll just, I'll listen to what you have to say and believe what you have to say. But I couldn't put it down. I, I started reading this at, a, I think, 10 o'clock at night one evening this week, and I couldn't stop reading it because I was so flabbergasted by some of the language that was used in this. And I imagine it was the same for you. I was stunned at the law, the underlying law, and then the carve-out of the EPA or the federal government making carbon dioxide a gas, like a covered gas or whatever the technical term was. I thought that I, it was stunning that a state, not Texas, would put its head in the sand so badly but for whatever reason, they decided to do that. And as I say that, I could probably think of 10 other things they could have done, anti-environment, anti-ESG, anti-sustainability, anti-whatever you want to call it, that would not have been a constitutional violation. Yet this one clearly was. What do you think of the constitutional language, though? Because I don't know if there's a province in Canada or the Canadian federal constitution. I guess I don't know the government system in Canada well enough. Is there anything similar to this that you're aware of in Canada? That's a really good question. And I will check because I don't have the right, I don't have an answer for you, but I honestly don't know. But I will definitely check because, yeah, I, I don't have an answer. And, uh, and one thing that I was going to add, because I, I think you said it rightly so about CO2 and this kind of invisible gas. And for anyone who doesn't, understand you know what co2 is and why it's so important to the greenhouse effect or global warming as we would which is really the the so we need to have a greenhouse effect and i won't get into the details of this because that's how actually that manages the climate of the planet but if you have too much of it we're living in the world a world now where we have too much of the greenhouse effect and we're and it's just it's we're seeing catastrophic obviously storms and weather etc but if you really want to get a very simple understanding of the greenhouse effect go and listen to dr carl sagan who testified 40 years ago in front of the u.s senate it was a senate committee on climate change 40 years ago where he explains in very plain and simple language why CO2, why excessive amounts of CO2 in the atmosphere is bad 
for the planet and for our climate. It's a, it's a really, it's a, it's such a simple and elegant explanation of the chemistry of how CO2 operates as a, as a gas, an invisible gas in the atmosphere because it actually absorbs in the infrared the heat that's being radiated from the Earth's surface, coming from the sun, and then it gets radiated back out to space. And if there's too much CO2, that gas loves infrared heat and it absorbs it and traps it. But I won't, I'm not going to do it justice. You have to go and listen to it. So if you go to, if you go to my LinkedIn page, I just posted this yesterday. And I, you know, it was 40 years ago, and it's very plain, simple language about what's going, what the greenhouse effect is, and what the role of CO2 is in the greenhouse effect that contributes to global warming. So, the Richard, what did you think of the children's? How did you assess that? And is that something you feel like the collective we can utilize either these kids or perhaps others? I so really great question, Tom. I found it incredibly compelling because each one of the plaintiffs had very specific reasons. You mentioned a couple of them, which were teenagers that had grown up on ranches, and those ranches had been affected by by early snowmelt, by flooding, by erosion, by uh, shrinking rivers and the loss of that environment. And therefore, they remember reading one of them saying that they had to actually move the animals several miles to actually graze because the typical grounds land that they would have grazed on was not suitable because it was suffering from drought. And But was what I wasn't expecting, Tom, was the psychological impact, the depression, the the anxiety, the fear of the future, those things I wasn't expecting to hear. And then there were some, and these were the younger children who had demonstrable health issues because of the quality of the air from wildfires, et cetera, the inability to be out. So it was interesting because kids obviously play outside. They like being outdoors. And so in several cases, these children were not allowed to play outside because the it was either too hot or there were there the air quality was too poor and uh, simple facts like the children consume more they breathe more they consume more air than we do as auto, adults they drink more they eat like by, in terms of body by body weight all those sorts of very simple things that i didn't know about but i found the testimony to be compelling and it was for each one of those children it was different and very specific to the to the issues that they were dealing with, whether they were health, mental health, or sort of degradation of their environments for them as children or for them as young adults in their family businesses. I think one family had a ranch and a hotel and, and the hotel lost its ability to attract tourism, tourists, etc. Like I was, I found it really compelling. And I think that if you, my belief is that kids or plaintiffs of that age group around the world will look at those test those the, that testimony and relate to it very personally i think the court concluded as we have said several times that the provision was unconstitutional and i want to maybe end my part richard by just 
emphasizing how narrow this ruling was. Very narrow. One part of one law. And we have devoted, obviously, 30 minutes to this, and many have devoted much more ink and or speechifying, we would say, to this. But this narrow ruling has given us a roadmap, and all of us a roadmap, literally from two-year-olds to 60-plus-year-olds, a roadmap that we can use, that we can discuss, that we can debate, and has given us a political solution that was not available to us before. So I want to, once again, commend the trial court for their courage, for their legal record they have built, which I think is enough to certainly stand up on appeal, whether or not the Montana Court of Appeals or Supreme Court holds with them. They may see this as a very narrow ruling and that they'll uphold it. At this point, it doesn't matter. I'd love for it to be upheld, but we have Me our too. first president. I'm going to give Me you too. the last word, Richard. Oh, I, I, so I think your last word, Tom, is so appropriate. I like the word roadmap that you use because I think that's really what this is all about. This was, and you know this better than I do as a practicing lawyer, this was, it appears to be so well drafted that it creates a real roadmap, as you suggest, that will be, that can be used by others that have the same concerns, the same uh, anxieties, the same health issues, the same environmental degradation issues, the same impact on business issues around the world to actually draw upon as a, again, your words, a roadmap to being able to articulate in a legal, in a very compelling legal manner, a position for the future of the planet and for the future well-being of the communities that make up our planet. So I'm, I'm, I commend the court, I commend the judge, all the expert witnesses, all the plaintiffs that took the time to actually, because it wasn't easy. I, I, there, was, there were several, they, they, there was a lot of pushback from the state. And I, I think this is groundbreaking and it's super exciting. So it gives me great hope that, that the world is going to be a better place. And it also, for me, very importantly, and I think it really, it really qualifies the fact that a climate change is real and it's due to human activity. And it is largely due to our emission, our emitting of CO2 gases from the burning of fossil fuels. This is Tom Fox. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Sustainability the business opportunity of the 21st century. I've linked to information on Richard's contact information in the show notes. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to him directly. Also, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. Sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.